Welcome to the Project Unchained podcast, where my special guests and I help you break free from the chains that hold you back from life's greatest experiences. The goal of this podcast is to educate people on self-care modalities that can and will improve your life if you commit to doing them. An effective self-care regimen is the single most important thing you can do for yourself to have a more extraordinary life experience. I'm your host, Ross Lepola, and I've spent the past several years of my life on a journey of healing and self-care after living many years chained down by my own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Now, I'm here to share what I have learned and to empower you to break free from the chains that hold you back from your unlimited potential. Let's get unchained. When you were lost in the woods, you were misunderstood by everyone, everyone. You were searching for words, but they came out absurd. And no one heard you, no one heard you speak your mind. They lost the This show is brought to you by The Belonging Blueprint. One of the most valuable lessons that I have ever learned has come from becoming a parent. A child's most basic needs is to feel a sense of belonging and significance. When I learned this and reflected on my own life, it reshaped the story I held on to about my childhood. And I came to the realization that we as adults still have that basic need to feel a sense of belonging and significance. I also soon realized the most important, powerful, and sustainable way to attain that sense of belonging is to create that within ourselves. And you know I'm a big fan of radical personal responsibility, so as adults, we must cultivate our relationship with ourselves and create our own sense of belonging from the inside. This concept has inspired me to construct the Belonging Blueprint, a personal development course that is available to you now. In this course, you will learn to navigate your life with the confidence you could only dream about in the past. I'll give you the tools you need to create your own belonging blueprint that will guide you to more ease and flow in your life. You can join me and others in a private community that supports your constant growth and sense of belonging because together we rise. To get more information and enroll today, you can click the link in the show notes. You belong here. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Project Unchained podcast. I'm your host, Ross Lepola, and today I got special guest Matthew Bivens on store for us. Matthew Bivens is a life coach, does some really awesome work. Uh, he also hosts his own podcast called Having It All, uh, conversations about living an abundant, loving life. And I'm super excited to have Matt on the show. Matt's got a, a great perspective. Um, he's got a lot of things that he talks about on his podcast that are similar to things that I like to talk about. I'm a big fan of his podcast, so I would encourage you to check that out as well. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to have a conversation with Matt, uh, and I'm excited to share it with you. But before we get into that, just want to remind you all of the one year anniversary special contest we got going on. So if you, uh, share your favorite episode on your social media or uh, share the podcast with uh, anybody in other ways, tag me in it, show it to me, send it to me in some way so I can see that. And that's going to get you entered into the contest that will uh, conclude on December 25th. 
and at which point I will draw a name every entry. You know, you can get entered multiple times if you share multiple episodes. Um, if you want to get your name in there more than once, and I'll draw a name, and whoever whoever is the lucky winner will get a five hundred dollar donation towards the mental health charity organization of their choice and or substance abuse charity foundation of their choice. Uh, and I will make that $500 donation in that person's name. So make sure to share the show and get you entered into the contest to support your favorite charity. So yeah, that said, let's, uh, let's dive into it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Matt as much as I enjoyed it. Welcome to the Project Unchained podcast where my special guests and I help you break free from the chains that hold you back from life's greatest experiences. The goal of this podcast is to educate people on self-care modalities that can and will improve your life if you commit to doing them. An effective self-care regimen is the single most important thing you can do for yourself to have a more extraordinary life experience. I'm your host, Ross Lepola, and I've spent the past several years of my life on a journey of healing and self-care after living many years chained down by my own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Now, I'm here to share what I have learned and to empower you to break free from the chains that hold you back from your unlimited potential. Let's get unchained. When you were lost in the woods, you were misunderstood by everyone, everyone. You were searching for words, but they came out absurd. And no one heard you, no one Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the Project Unchained podcast. I'm your host, Ross Lepola, and today I got special guest Matthew Bivens on store for us. Matthew Bivens is a life coach, does some really awesome work. Uh, He also hosts his own podcast called Having It All, uh, conversations about living an abundant, loving life. And I'm super excited to have Matt on the show. Matt's got a, a great perspective um, he's got a lot of things that he talks about on his podcast that are similar to things that I like to talk about. I'm a big fan of his podcast, so I would encourage you to check that out as well. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm really excited to have a conversation with Matt, uh, and I'm excited to share it with you. But before we get into that, just want to remind you all of the one year anniversary special contest we got going on. So if you, uh, share your favorite episode on your social media or uh, share the podcast with uh, anybody in other ways, tag me in it, show it to me, send it to me in some way so I can see that. And that's going to get you entered into the contest that will uh, conclude on December 25th. And at which point I will draw a name, every entry, you know, you can get entered multiple times if you share multiple episodes. Um, If you want to get your name in there more than once, and I'll draw a name, and whoever whoever is the lucky winner will get a $500 donation towards the mental health charity organization of their choice and or substance abuse charity foundation of their choice. Uh, and I will make that $500 donation in that person's name. 
So make sure to share the show and get you entered into the contest to support your favorite charity. So yeah, that said, let's uh, let's dive into it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Matt as much as I enjoyed it. Matthew Bivens, my friend, uh, welcome. I appreciate you joining me here today on the Project Unchained podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome, man. This is great. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited too. You do a lot of really awesome work yourself with your podcast and your coaching, and I've been a big fan of the stuff that you produce. So I'm really looking forward to to chatting with you today. Likewise. So why, why don't we start? You tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, um, familiarize the audience with yourself. Awesome. Uh, so I'm a balanced lifestyle coach, transformation specialist. I work with people one-on-one, help them gain more confidence, clarity, and connect with their purpose. And I do that through a couple of ways. I have a podcast called Having It All, mm-hmm. and uh, that show's been just amazing to, to produce and put out for the past five years. And then my wife and I have a podcast called Doing It at Home, which is all about home birth and right. creating empowerment around having your babies at home. And so through those two channels, um, I just get a, get a chance to play and share with others and be and connect and all those wonderful things that I enjoy. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I know I've been a consumer of your Having It All podcast. Uh, I've listened to a couple episodes of your Doing It at Home podcast as well. Um, both awesome, awesome work for people needing those kinds of things. Um, and and especially of particular interest for me and the things that I like to do and consume and, and the content that I produce here at Project Unchained, there's definitely some parallels between Project Unchained and having it all, um, in terms of, you know, breaking away from things that limit you in life and, and having it all, um, having the life that you want and having the experience that you want to create and breaking free from past stories that don't need to limit your life anymore. You weren't always a coach though. Where, where did that come from? What, what before coaching, what were you like? Different. Um, (laughs) so I, uh, let's see. The, the short story is about 10 years ago, I was, um, I found that there were some things about myself that I didn't quite love and I wanted to work on them. And I, I had been um, exposed to different personal development, self-help things from when I was younger by my father. He shared with me books like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, right. four, four Agreements, things like that. So that had kind of been in my awareness, but I'd never cracked them open. So 10 years ago, just going through different changes in life, relationship changes, and um, just low self-esteem, low self-confidence, um, feeling lost. And I was just drawn to to different books and podcasts and YouTube videos, TED Talks. And I was just drawn to those messages of, you know, you can create what you want, you can improve yourself, you can become more confident. And I started to apply some of the things that I was learning about. And I I enjoyed what was, you know, some of the shifts that I was feeling in myself. It felt um, great to be doing something, like feel like I was really working on myself in a, in a way that was new to me. Because I've been an athlete my whole life, so I'm used to working on my body. But working on my my mental health and my emotional health, my spiritual health, was not something that I'd ever done. 
So I was in that frame of mind 10 years ago. Um, and then I ended up moving. I was in Florida at the time. Ended up moving to Atlanta. And when I came to Atlanta, a couple of things happened that really shifted a, a lot of things. Um, I came in, I moved here to with a job. And I worked in that job for a month and I was miserable. And I came home one day and I had been, you know, in traffic, came home just frustrated and complaining to my then girlfriend, became my wife, Sarah. And I remember sitting on the floor of our apartment. I was just frustrated. And in one of the self-help things I had read or listened to recently, the question was asked, what would you do if you weren't afraid? It's a question that I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard before or asked themselves. Right. And so I, in that moment, that question just popped into my mind. Man, Matthew, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And I answered the question. I was talking to Sarah. I was like, you know, Sarah, for whatever reason, this question's popping in my mind. And if I wasn't afraid, I would quit this job and I would strike out on my own and start my own marketing business. That's what I was doing at the time. And just, just do my own thing. Entrepreneur. That's what I would do. And I said the answer out loud, and then something in me just said, okay, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> and so I wrote up the resignation letter, sent it in, resigned from that position, and started my own business. I'd never done anything like that before. Right. But there was just something in me that was clear. If I want different results, I need to do something different. And what was really in front of my face was how often I had been in a crossroads like that where I was afraid to do something. And all in my life, up until that point, nine times out of 10, I wasn't going to do it. The fear always got the best of me. And it was in subtle things and big things. It was in things like asking the girl to prom. Right. But I'm afraid. She'll say no. She doesn't really like me. Uh, and, you know, all, the, all that, that self-talk didn't do it. Going out for the varsity team. Nah, I probably won't make varsity. I'm not that good. Da, 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 da. So I didn't do it. Right. So I had, I had, I knew what that tasted like. And I hated the taste of standing at, at a crossroads of fear and love and choosing fear. I just hated that taste. So in that moment in the apartment floor, I said, this is what I'd do if I wasn't afraid. And something in me just said, okay, we're, we're not going to do what we've done a hundred times before. We're going to, you're going to go and face that fear. So that was a big turning point moment for me. Yeah. And um, that led to me being in this new space of like, oh, I, I'm facing fears. Okay, so let me just keep doing it. And I, I said to myself, you're also going to say yes to things. Now that you're in this new space and you're, you're creating business on your own and I was connecting with people, I was reaching out to folks in LinkedIn. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to do this marketing thing. Let me connect with all the marketing agencies in town and see what they're up to, and see if they have extra business, and let me just do stuff. I started saying yes, yes, yes. You want to get coffee? Yes. Want to get breakfast? Yes. You want to go to this meeting? Yes. And it was those two things, let me face my fears and say yes, that led me to a community, a gym, a wellness space called Your Day Balance Game here in Atlanta. I reached out to a guy who was um, owner of a marketing agency, gave him my pitch about me having my own business. And he said, come to this address and bring your workout clothes. I was like, this is the strangest you know, <laughs> business meeting I've ever been to. But right. I was in yes mode. So I said, yeah, I'll be there. So I showed up. And 
they were a marketing agency that was very focused and committed to their health and well-being. So they injected this really beautiful um, like wellness philosophy philosophy into their business. And it was so cool. I'm like, wow, I'm into fitness as well. This is really great. And it was in that space that I met my coach. And so I was in this 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 space, the Orde playground, and I was showing up for exercises and or showing up for workouts. I was showing up for different things. And I just got more and more wrapped up in what they were talking about there because they were discussing health in terms of fitness, lifestyle, and consciousness. Right. And I, I I knew I understood that so much so many of my stuck areas were that was the consciousness piece. I had no idea how to crack it open. I had no idea how to explore it. The books and podcasts and TED Talks only brought me so far. And so when I was introduced to to your day, I saw what they were all about. I was like, this is for me. I found something that's for me. And I connected with my coach then. And that was eight years ago. So I've been working with him consistently for eight years. And I, I didn't go in there consciously seeking coaching but I, I in my heart i was looking for mentorship and guidance and i was looking for coaching it wasn't like i went there with that objective but when my my coach teacher was presented in front of me i knew I'm like yes i'm meant to study under you for a little while and so that's what i did and it was it was in me receiving coaching and being the student and doing that for a number of years it was maybe like year four or five that I said, you know, I want to share some of the things that I'm learning. I want to share them with other people. So that's when I went through certification to become a coach myself. So um, I said it was going to be a short story, but that wasn't very short. <laughs> they never are. That's okay. That's why we're here. We have time. Backing up a little bit, though, like that, you know, you had that transition. You found, um, you found your coach that helped you expand your consciousness. But before that, you said there are things that you realized you didn't like about yourself. Mm -hmm. um, saying, taking the fear path rather than the love path. What about your life developed that in you? What kind of events and experiences did you have growing up in your, in your youth, in your childhood, that kind of developed you into making those choices? It's a great question. And it's something I've thought about, you know, like wanting to trace things back to the origin. I can't quite pinpoint a moment right. where things changed, but there was a lot of little, lot of little things. Um, I remember when I moved at around nine years old. And I moved from this little town in California to the suburbs of Atlanta. And I remember when I went to, it was like the end of fourth grade, maybe fifth grade. And I went to this brand new school. I didn't know anybody. We moved in the middle of the year. So I was the new kid. And um, every, you know, the school year had already, had already started. We were mm -hmm. at the end of the school year. And somebody came up to me and he asked me, what are you? He said, what are you? And I had never heard a question like that. Um, I'm biracial. My mother's, my mother's white, my father's black. And growing up all these other years, there was never any question of 
my ethnicity or my race or anything like that. So when I when I had that experience where the where the kid asked me, "What are you?" It was the first time that I remember receiving judgment or criticism around who I was. And I don't know if that was the first instance, but that was definitely an instance where it started this conversation in me that there's something wrong with me. And it was, a, it was, it was, that was like a seed of that story mm-hmm. that you aren't enough. You aren't dark enough. You aren't light enough that there's something, there's something off with you, Matthew, if people are coming up to you and saying, well, what are you? And so there were other little instances like that that had me, again, questioning who I was. And that's like an identity thing, right? Like, yeah. who are you in, in, in that sense? Um, and then there's, there's other little moments where things happened and it was my confidence that was shook. You know, I was a kid, a very emotional kid. Like, if I was feeling high, I was up. If I was feeling low, I was down. If I was happy, I laughed. If I was sad, I cried. And I remember getting a, um, a bad uh, report card, something like a test, something like that. And when the teacher gave me the report or the test score or whatever, I cried. And she took the paper and she wrote a note on it for my mom to sign because it was like a failing grade or something. And I took the note and I went home. And before I gave it to my mom, I read the note. And it was like, you know, Mrs. Bivens, Matthew got a 68 on his report. I need you to know that. And she wrote in all caps and he cried and like underlined it. So it's it like emphasized that there was something wrong with me crying, with me showing that emotion. And I remember like being just taken aback by that. Like I didn't think that was a, a wrong thing. And so that planted another seed of there's something wrong with you because you feel deeply. And so seeds like that, you know, I just took these little things that happen in life and I didn't talk about them with anybody. So I never got a different perspective. I never got somebody to help me shift the context around it. I just interpreted it with my eight-year-old brain, my 10-year-old brain, my 12-year-old brain. Right. You know, I remember a girl in middle school saying, you're cute, but do you have an older brother? Because you're too little. (laughs) That messed with my head. Yeah. So it's like all these little moments that just mess with me. And the more that that stuff happened and the more that I felt these feelings of shame, of something wrong with me, the less, like the more I just closed up, closed up, closed up, closed up and wouldn't share any of that stuff with anybody. And so I just incubated all those feelings for years, just incubated them. And, you know, it was that that happened. Those were like, again, those years of preteen years, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12, like around that time. And that just kind of set a groundwork that I continued to build on years later. And then, of course, when I'm a teenager, you inject romantic relationships and all these different things. Like that just had my brain going all over the place. And right. the the frequency of the negative self-talk, like it was just constant. It was just constant. 
Yeah. And so it was, it was those types of things that as I got older and became an adult and looked at myself and started dabbling in self-help and different things, I was like, well, there's a lot of this stuff going on. And I could see how it was impacting relationships. I see how it would show up in my sexual relationships and it would show up in the how I felt about my career and my ability to 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 get the job and you know all those different areas I'm like okay I, I want to address these things yeah no I can I can relate that it's for me a lot of times too it was it was those micro fractions yep the, the those those small seeds I never had any one overly traumatic experience but it was just a lot of little things that infiltrated my brain became my thoughts you know yeah. you, you hear like I think about it from a being bullied standpoint and the whole sticks and stones may break your bones, but words may never hurt you. Yeah, That's not entirely true because when you hear somebody telling you, oh, you're a loser, you're a loser, you're a loser, that starts to become the voice you say in your head. It yeah. translates into becoming your self-talk and your thoughts in your head become your beliefs. Your beliefs end up being your expression in life. Mm -hmm. And... So all those little micro infractions, those little seeds planted in your head in your youth translated into problems for you as an adult. Things that you weren't proud of and you didn't you you chose the fear route instead of the love route because yeah. you were you were scared. You had all those things impacting your confidence and ability to choose and and rationalize through that. W what other ways for you as an adult, did those seeds express themselves? Oh, man. I mean, one of the biggest ways that it expressed itself was in romantic relationships. You know, around that time that I was, I was planting and watering those seeds, I also got exposed to pornography. I had a TV in my room when I was young. Mm -hmm. I don't know what age, like 10, 11, 12. And uh, it was just basic stuff. But I remember there was HBO. Right. I got like a grainy HBO channel. <laughs> and so at night, I would stay up and I would watch those HBO softcore porn, porno movies. And then also like real sex. Yeah. And taxi cab confessions. And like, I used to love that stuff. Right. You know, and sex was not talked about in my family, in my household at all. And like I remember the sex talk with my dad was very quick and very awkward. And so that kind of reinforced the idea that there was something wrong about it or shameful with it. So then I felt like I had to hide anything that I was looking at. So I was hiding, watching that HBO stuff. It was late at night. Everyone was asleep and I'm up. You know what I mean? And it's like it just created this. It just added to all the stuff that was being planted around that period of time. So then fast forward and, and years go by and then I'm watching porn on the computer, downloading movies and videos and stuff. And what that started to do was to create this model in my mind of what a sexual relationship was supposed to look like. Ah, this is what this is how a man's supposed to be able to show up in the bedroom. This is how he's supposed to look. This is how hard he's supposed to be. This is how long he's supposed to be able to perform and this is what he's supposed to make his partner do moan and scream and squirt and all that stuff this was like 
the story that was getting etched in my mind. This is how it's supposed to happen. And this is how she's supposed to respond. This is what she's supposed to do. This is what she's supposed to say, because that's what I see in all the videos. And that just get gets etched in my mind as well. And so I get into my earliest relationships, early sexual relationships, 17 years old, and I lost my virginity. And as I was engaging as a teenager and, and a you know, 20-something-year-old, I'm comparing myself and how I'm showing up to how what I saw in those videos. Oh, man. And that and, fucks things up real oh, bad. Oh, my gosh, man. It was like, <laughs> well, everything about how I'm supposed to be showing up is not what's happening. Right. And that created just massive amounts of anxiety in my mind around my performance and everything. Like, it, it, it just it seeped into so much. And it bled out of the... It wasn't just bedroom. It, it started to bleed into other areas of my life because, well, this is a confident guy. Look at this confident guy who walks in and picks up all these women and has sex with them all. And they're all having orgasms and everybody's exhausted and he's just like standing like a champion. You know what I mean? And so it, it like that type of thing, again, with having no conversations with anybody about it. So I had zero context around what I was looking at. I had zero perspective. I was approaching it with a very immature mind. Yeah. Formulating very potent stories. And so that played out in relationships where I believe that if our sex didn't look like that, something was off. Right. And if something, and I also created incredibly codependent relationships where my source of, my source of validation and, and approval and self-esteem was coming from her, you know? And so if she was not giving me those things, I became very insecure. So you have insecurity going on, a lot of comparison going on, me trying to live up to this sexual ideal that is not realistic. And it just created this emotional, manipulative, just tug of war of, of, of stuff in these relationships that I was having. And um, after having several relationships where I just felt insecure the whole time and jealous and, you know, like moments of feeling like that badass dude, like moments of it. But that was 1% of the time. 99% of the time, I felt inadequate. Right. It just, after experiencing that for so long, you know, I started to, I started to notice how much of that self-talk was going on. And then, of course, as I started to look into more of the personal development things and understand how much of what I'm experiencing externally is a result of what's going on internally, that created the the motivation to dig in a little deeper and really look at like, what am I saying to myself before making love? What am I saying to myself when I'm walking with my girlfriend and I pass by what looks to be an alpha male? Like, what am I saying to myself? And then just getting a greater understanding of all those conversations I was having that were based off of fear, inadequacy, jealousy, scarcity, and starting to understand how that was having an impact on, you know, my thinking, my conversation, my behavior, the habits I form, and the character that ultimately who I'm becoming. And so I just started, I was able to like see those threads. Still didn't know ex exactly how to address it, but I was becoming more and more aware of what was going on. Yeah. And you have to start with awareness. You have to have awareness about it if you're ever going to create any kind of uh, change around it. 
Um, I, I definitely, there's a lot of my life that I can relate to that. Um, yeah. I, I would be willing to bet that the vast majority of, especially men in the U S can, can relate to that, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, our, our culture has become inundated by it and it doesn't help any of us, particularly men. I mean, it doesn't help any women either. Let's be honest. No, no, (laughs) it doesn't. No, absolutely. Because I think that they have, you know, women go through their own version of that, how they're supposed to be in relationships, what's expected of them, how they're supposed to be in the bedroom. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's on both sides. Yep. What they're expected to do and how they're expected to, to perform, to stroke the male ego. And like, there's just all kinds of unhealthy things that can come from that. And that causes a lot of lack of true connection in a relationship. I remember hearing a while ago and it said, women give sex for love. Men give love for sex. Right. And you know, some th- those generalizations aren't, Oh, you know, don't, don't, um, aren't true across the board, but it did make me start thinking about, wow, you know what? Yeah. Like that's, that's what I was, you know, I'll say the right thing so that we can then have sex because if we're having sex, then in my mind, the relationship is strong. Like if we're if we're connecting physically, especially if I'm making her come, this is my language, right? I'm making her come. If I'm doing that and it's happening on a regular basis, then we're okay. We're going to weather whatever storm is going on because I know there's other stuff going on that we're not addressing. But as long as we're able to have some sort of explosiveness in the bedroom, we're cool. And then, of course, the explosiveness in the bedroom wasn't happening. It was happening 1% of the time. So that just fed a whole bunch of stuff. So just all these little interesting things, man, that, again, I just go back to like not having any mature people to talk about this. Like I wasn't getting, like I'm learning about relationship dynamics through porn. And then that gets reinforced in movies. You watch a movie like James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. James Bond will sleep with a woman the same night he met her and he doesn't say a word. He just walks by and she sniffs him and says, oh my gosh, I just can't resist this man. Yeah. And then he sleeps with her and he gets what he needs because he's using her for the mission. Then boom, he's on to the next. That just reinforced the same exact thing that was going on in porn. The dude shows up and the women just jump over him and that's how you're supposed to be. Yeah. And then when that's not your life experience, you start to wonder what the fuck is wrong with me. And now your self-confidence is taken down. Your self-worth is taken down. And then when that's taken down, that further impacts what you display in life, Mm -hmm. which further impacts how the females are going to respond to you. Because let's be real. Everybody wants confidence. We all think confidence is sexy. So when we're displaying lack of it, we're not going to be attractive. Um, And then it just becomes that vicious cycle of yes it the 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 lack feeding the lack um and i think too one of the things that came to mind as we're talking about this uh for those of you listening a thought um if this conversation is making you feel uncomfortable by hearing matt talk about his story that's probably a really good sign that this is something you need to dig in on on yourself and connect with on yourself and why do you feel uncomfortable about two grown men talking about sex like that there is something in your belief system that is limiting that capacity and i just want to encourage you to explore that and see what kind of doors that might open up for you in your own development 
uh, in your relationships, as particularly sexually, what that can do for you um, and the quality of it. Absolutely. You know, because if you think of health and all these different components of health, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, like sexual plays a part in all of that. Big time. Big time. And I, you know, just in our conversation, I shared with you how my sexual identity and the way that I identified myself sexually and the way that I, like my, my feelings about myself, it showed up mentally in my self-talk, which resulted in the way I showed up physically in the bedroom and out of the bedroom, yep. which impacted my emotional health and my emotional state of being. It, 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 it touches all of that stuff. So if you're not addressing the sexual piece, it's like driving a car and you have a flat tire. The other four, t- the other three tires might be inflated. Everything might be fine about that car, but if that one tire is flat, you will feel it on the ride. Yep. You will never be able to get to top speed, and you that the 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 quality of that ride will be impacted. And so that's like what it's like when you're not addressing the sexual piece. And there's a lot of reasons to not address it. One of them that you just brought up, Ross, that it's uncomfortable. Let's not address it because it's uncomfortable. Right. And let's just keep putting it down there. But those things will never go away. Nope. Never goes away. That, that they don't. If you don't address it. Right. I mean, similar, like you get to that point in your life, in your experiences, that you're on the floor and you have the choice between love and fear. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I love the way that you put that because that was very similar to my experience when, um, I had a moment when I was 28 mowing the lawn that like, Oh my God, like what's going on? You know, that was when Vanessa and I first started escalated our relationship from being friends to being romantic. And at the time it was polyamorous and there was multiple people involved and I started freaking the fuck out Mm -hmm. and I'm in my head and I was in my head so hard. I had, it was, I've, I don't know that I've ever had a moment in my life where my brain has been racing at such high rate of speed with such crazy negative self-talk ever. And it was at that moment, I'm like, man, I got to do something about this. Yeah. I I can't keep choosing the fear. That's, I've been doing that for 28 years of my life and I, I don't have fulfillment. I don't have joy. Sure. I have moments of happiness. I have those 1% moments where I feel like the man, Mm -hmm. but I want to do something different. I want to choose something different. And so that too led me to, to like seeking coaching and seeking help and and guidance. So it's really neat to like hear your story and hear like some of the things that kind of started that process of change for you Yeah, and, and how they're, there have parallels. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of people that parallel with those ideas when they realize that they've constantly chosen that path of fear and that path of, uh, to the comfort zone and least resistance so that they don't have to be uncomfortable. And that's the unfortunate part is that that just keeps you stagnant and keeps you down. So when you started that process to create the change and start to unravel the stories and unravel the beliefs and shift them to something that was going to serve you, what were some of the things that you started doing and what were the things that were making like the biggest impact for you? So, you know, I, I was, I started connecting with my coach 
And I was very interested in that consciousness piece, you know, my awareness of my relationship to myself, others, and life. Um, the fitness and lifestyle came more naturally for me, but mm -hmm. I was also enjoying being coached in just different modalities. So in those conscious conversations, it really kind of opened up my eyes to the impact of my own thinking and how um, deep I had bought into beliefs that weren't really serving me. And what was really illuminated for me was that 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 self-worth, self-esteem, confidence piece. And I was finding that in the area that it was showing up the most was in the sexual component when it came to relationships. So that was, that was in my awareness. And um, it was a little while later that I met people who had multiple partners in their relationships. And immediately that idea just scared the hell out of me. Just the idea. It wasn't like they approached Sarah and I to, you know, to in any, in it for anything, but just the idea of me being with another person, my partner being with another person, it brought up such anxiety and feelings of insecurity that after that initial, you know, slap in the face of just entertaining those ideas in my mind, what quickly followed was, Matthew, this is an area of your greatest fear, or this is what is bringing up your greatest fears. And so I knew because I had been several years into making that commitment to face my fears, I knew I was going to face it. And that to me just, it, it opened up this whole realm of like, man, there's a lot of stuff that's in, that, that's, that is wrapped up and connected with the sexual piece and the who am I as a man and as a, as an individual piece. Um, that just made me feel so, so, so uncomfortable. And I just decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep exploring this. So that was, I don't know how many years ago that was, but um, that's where Sarah and I started to explore having multiple partners in our relationship. And it really, to me, was an opportunity for some healing. Like I, I clearly saw the healing opportunities. Right. Because I was feeling all those same feelings that I was having when I was in a monogamous relationship, right? The self-esteem, the, you know, being inadequate, feeling a massive amount of shame, feeling guilt because of the emotional manipulation I was doing to create a scenario that helped me to show up as that confident alpha guy. Like I was feeling all those things and now it was showing, it was being presented in this package of having multiple partners. So I just, we went down that path and explored it. Right. Explored it because at the same time that I was feeling so fucking scared i also felt an excitement in my body and i was like this to me and i remember thinking this i was like this is when my heart is feeling the truth which is the excitement but my brain and my programming and my conditioning is telling me that's i shouldn't be doing that and i was like that's that's what i'm feeling this tension and conflict i'm feeling within myself is because the truth is i'm feeling pulled in this direction but it's clashing with my story and my beliefs. And if I'm open and willing to release that story and adopt new beliefs, then I can have that coherence. And so I said, cool, let's go explore. And so very slowly, Sarah and I started to explore what it looked like 
to open up our relationship in that way for the explicit purposes of healing, of utilizing that sexual energy for healing, utilizing it for, for manifesting, for creating new beautiful things in our lives and our relationship, and for having an experience in that state of just sustained joy. It wasn't about, let me have a bunch of partners, let me fuck, let me have a, all these you know amazing sexual experiences. It wasn't about procreating and you know spreading my seed everywhere. You know, it wasn't about all these things that sex used to be about for me. Right. Sex used to be all about the physical experience, the codependency. If we're having sex, then the relationship's strong. Right. Right. That's what it used to be about. But as we started to explore the the purpose of connecting changed for us. And I truly saw my opportunity for healing. And so it was in these experiences with different partners that I faced some of the scariest situations that I've ever faced. And not scary because I was going to die, but scary because that story that I had just, I had fed for so long was, was being so close to, to shattering. And I, I forget who said this, but they made the example of the space shuttle as it launches and it's getting out of the, the, gravitational pull of the earth and it's getting into you know space into orbit it requires so much thrust and so much energy to break that gravity but as soon as it breaks that gravity and it gets out into space it doesn't require that much energy anymore right you could push the space shuttle with your hand if you're able to and it would go yeah and i had that in my mind like matthew just hold on because you're going to experience a shit ton of chaos as your stories and limiting beliefs are are being vibrated so fast that they're breaking apart. Just hold on, like those astronauts in that shuttle. Hold on, because you're going to punch through. And I punched through at a lot of different moments where I punched through. And I, I was very grateful, again, for that commitment that I made years prior to just continue to face those scary situations and continue to say yes and be open. And... You know, I, I remember several of those moments where I could feel the the breakthrough happen. I was like, holy shit, I'm different. Like I'm different now than when I entered this thirty minutes ago. And I just kept pursuing that. Let me continue to just go for those breakthrough moments. Even though I don't like pushing my comfort zone. I don't enjoy that feeling. I'm committed to it because I I truly believe that my greatest experiences on the other side of it and so over time i've learned to be at peace with expanding my comfort zone but i'm not like a you know a junkie with it like let me go find the next thing let me go find the next thing but what i did is i when the next thing presented i never backed away from it when the next opportunity presented i just i was like okay this is the next opportunity and let's go because i had experienced so many times that breakthrough moment and feeling like holy shit i just let go of some stuff and i'm i'm changed okay let's keep going yeah no that's cool um i i love the analogy i i my brain totally works on analogies so (laughs) (laughs) that analogy is really awesome i like it i'm gonna have to use that i don't have to pay you rights for that do i (laughs) you're good it's not mine (laughs) i'm just sharing it perfect 
But thinking about it, like one of the things that, that I thought about before we even went into the the ideas around healing with multiple partners and, and how that was with you and Sarah, I was thinking about back when, when you were talking about coming home from from work and you know, you and Sarah were just you were you're dating your boyfriend, girlfriend at that mm-hmm. time. You weren't married yet. Um and knowing that you're married to her now, I started thinking like, oh man, so you didn't really start healing until after you two were already together. Yeah. So you two have gone through that together. Whereas a lot of people, I feel like they do it individually and then they might come back together or they might meet somebody different and that serves them. But you two kind of have gone through that together. So yeah, I can only imagine that part of her journey in self-care parallels yours a bit. It does. And the timing wasn't always synced up. So for example, the the concept of having additional partners, you know, she felt that it, like it resonated with her and and she could see herself in those experiences a lot quicker than I could because I had you know and I, and I and I know that she had her own stuff that came up her own fears but there was just something about that intuitive trust she had and and that feeling that she was having it took me longer to get there so I remember having conversations with her like listen if if anything comes up if anybody approaches you like that's not fucking going to fly Right. And this, this is my fears talking. This is all that stuff. And so, it, yes, we went on that journey together. It did not always, we were not always in the same aspect of the journey. At sometimes I was leading it, sometimes she was leading it. Right. But there was a, there was a commitment that each one of us had to our own healing as individuals. And that was something that, even though I had so many codependent relationships prior to that, there was something about connecting with Sarah. You know, we were friends for a long time before we became lovers. And we were each in our own individual relationships. I had a girlfriend, she had a boyfriend. So we were able to create a deep bond in friendship as romantic individuals. It wasn't right. like I saw her and was like, damn, I'm trying to get with this girl now. You know what I mean? I didn't have, I didn't form those sorts of attachments. Her and I formed a connection. I think there's a difference between attachment and connection. Yeah, agreed. We, we formed a deep connection that was still rooted in us as individuals. And so when we started our relationship, I never felt like I owned her or 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 had a right to tell her what to do. It was always, it was years of me supporting her in as herself as an individual. Do you. Do what makes you feel great, what makes you feel good. Pursue what it is that you want to experience in life. That's how I was for her in our years as being super close friends. So then when we became romantically involved, that the way that I supported her as an individual and the way she supported me as an individual stayed. It was still there. Right. So as we start going down this, this path and exploring for ourselves what does it mean to be a husband and a wife and a lover and this and that and monogamy and all that stuff? I was still in full support of her doing what was best for her. And she was still in support of me doing what was best for me. I knew that that could lead to us going in different paths. But I was very committed to having the, to, to becoming the greatest version of myself. And I understand that 
you know, my ego might want to be with you forever, but that might not be what is best for us. And so I just let go of that attachment and belief that like you're going to be in my life forever. And instead I choose every day. I choose to be her partner today. Choose to be her partner tomorrow. Like I ch- we choose each other consistently. Consistently choose each other. And it's an incredible relationship because we're playing for some incredible things as a couple. And we support each other in having the greatest experience we can have as individuals. And what that helped me do is melt away so much jealousy that I used to have in relationships. Like I didn't want girlfriends, my previous girlfriends, to have male friends. I was suspicious of a male friend because I really believed that you should get all your fulfillment from me, that our conversation should fill you up, that my joke should make you laugh fully, that you know all, that you should get it all from me. And so I was very, um, it, it, it really did something to me when she wanted to go and enjoy a meal with this friend and she wanted to go and watch a movie with that friend and like for girlfriends in the past, like it, it messed with that story that I had that, no, you sh- it should all come from me. And so now I understand. And for, that's that, that way of being does not support me. Right. I'm much more in an abundant mindset. I want my wife to have close male relationships and close relationships in general that fill her up in this way and fill her up in that way and fill her up in that way. I want her to have those things because when she gets filled up, she comes back home and now she's feeling herself. She's, she's a greater version of herself. Her tank is filled up. She's got more love to give. She's got more patience to give. She's got more creativity. She always ends up pouring back into me. How can I serve you? How can I love on you? What would you like for dinner? All these different ways that I benefit from Sarah going out and having her tank filled up. And so I support that 100% these days. And it's also has taken the pressure off me to be everything for her because that was what I was also experiencing. In my previous relationships, I wanted to be everything for you, but that also meant I had to be everything for you and you had to be everything for me. It created this ridiculous amount of pressure on both parties and it was unrealistic. So you add that unrealistic pressure on top of a shaky relationship foundation because I don't fully trust myself and so if I can't fully trust myself, how are we going to build trust between the two of us? You're just adding plates on a rocky foundation. His, his cracks are all over the place. Right. Yeah. And so I saw these things. And in, in, in you know years after those relationships, I would reflect and be like, that's what was going on. Let me address all that stuff within me to make sure that this doesn't show up in this marriage, in this relationship. And so long answer again to to, to your question, <laughs> but you know, Sarah and I are so committed to our paths as individuals and so committed to our partnership and our marriage. It's a, it, it feels incredibly interdependent, as Stephen Covey would put it. From right. Dependence to independence to then interdependence. Yeah, yeah. Which, there, there and again, there's so many cultural things, uh, movies, you know, that we watch that fill, fill these stories in our heads that, yeah. that fuck us up. You know, you complete me. Oh. I know. Yep. What what an awful piece of shit that is. Um, you are my everything. What an awful piece of shit that is. Like it just creates a certain experience. It certainly does that. Yeah, and 
regardless of whether a person's monogamous or polyamorous or uh, gay, straight, whatever, it doesn't matter. Like the connection is more important. And if you have such a high level of dependence, there's not going to be the connection. There's going to be, it's going to be rooted in fear, not love. Rooted in fear and lack and all those things are going to come out. Right. They, they they come out. They have to. And then as you add more to the relationship, like you become married. Now you've added a whole other level, level. And all your stuff's going to come up. The good stuff and the bad stuff, it all comes up. Throw a kid into the mix. Now you've done it again. All the stuff comes to the surface when you do that. And so it's if you aren't addressing those things, just be ready for the roller coaster that it'll be. You know, because it'll be an emotional roller coaster. And, you know, I've, I've, I've witnessed a lot of people going through that. I've coached a lot of people who are in that. And, you know, I can speak to the experiences that I created as a very codependent individual. And then I can speak to what it's like on the other side, too. Yeah, I, I, can, I can relate to that. I was definitely very codependent. I was very mm-hmm. much in that uh, people pleaser, nice guy role for a long time. I'm going to do this nice thing for this girl. This girl is going to love me. We're going to get married and have kids and live happily ever after. No, it doesn't fucking work. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's giving stuff from a place of fear, not from a place of love. Yes, and I remember, I remember a belief that I had back in the day that I was so convicted in this belief that a relationship is strong if I can't be happy when you aren't happy. Oh yeah, I don't know where I picked it up, but to me, it sounded it sounded true. It sounded it sounded like that makes a lot of sense. And so I remember repeating that to myself because when my girlfriends were sad, I would rush over. What can we do? How can I fix it? What's going on? They just needed some space. They didn't need me hounding them. But I saw their sadness as a sign that they were losing interest in the relationship. And that made me insecure. So I would immediately rush over and try to fix it, which created all sorts of breakdowns with me trying to fix everything. But I had this belief that... A strong relationship is one where if you're sad, then I have to be sad. If you're happy, then I have to be, then I can be happy. So I, I hitched my emotional wagon to them and it drove them crazy because I was always trying to change how they were feeling instead of being with them, right? Listening to them. I was very much in problem solver mode and it, I, I, I can relate it back to that belief, just holding on. Like that's, you know, when you talk about beliefs, you do on your on your podcast so much, like they're they're important. They are so important to understand those beliefs because that's like you mentioned in the top of the episode, like that's where your conversation comes from, that's where your behavior comes from, these beliefs. And one of the things my coach said that I, I love it, he's like, Beliefs are like T shirts. You can change them. You can change them. Yeah. And you might put a belief on, a t-shirt on, and wear it, and it works for a little while. But then at some point, you look down, and you're like, wait a minute, this thing is ratty, and it's dirty. It doesn't fit right. Let me take this belief off and go put another belief on. One that serves me. One that serves me. One that fits better. One that looks better. Like, let me let me try that yeah. out. And you can absolutely do that. And to 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 change and to to level up or whatever you want to call it, like you, you're going to have to let go of some beliefs that don't serve you anymore. Yeah. And you can literally change any belief that you want to. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no, there's no rule or law against that. Now that might piss some of your friends off, your family off that 
that you're changing your belief. Um, but I, I feel like if they're if they're taking that personally, that's a that's a sign to you that remember that they're expressing themselves and that not you. Yeah, it's okay. It's their choice to feel that way, right? So one one of the questions that I, I thought about that I want to hit on here, what like it was it was scary and you had a lot of fear going into opening up and having more than one partner for both you and Sarah. Like, but what about, what about that adventure really was like healing, right? Like, as you say, it wasn't about the sexual exploits. It wasn't about, uh, the experiences and things like that. You saw it as a healing opportunity. Absolutely. What can you explain that a little more? Yeah. So, what I have found is when I'm with the different partners, different things come up for whatever reason. You know, I was I was spending time with one of my partners this week. Mm-hmm. And um, her and I don't have sex. We do other things. We, we, we move sexual energy in other ways. And that's one of the big things that I've learned over these years. There's a lot of different ways to move sexual energy and create sexually intimate experiences. Penetration is just one of them. So we were doing what's called orgasmic meditation. It's a really beautiful practice. I recommend if you're listening, curious, go look it up. Orgasmic meditation. And as we were in the practice, I the word shame just came. It's not something that I experience if I'm, doing an orgasmic meditation with Sarah or if I'm making love to Sarah. But when I'm with different people, I experience myself in different ways and different things come up. And so what I have, what I've found just, this is one example, but that's something that I appreciate is that having multiple partners gives me the opportunity to experience myself in a whole different in, in a multitude of ways. And it's through those different experiences, stuff comes up. And it might be because I am viewing myself in a certain rela- way as relationship to this person or whatever, the history I have with this person. It's so many different factors can go into why different feelings come up. But for me, it's all about what is that feeling that does, that comes up? Ah, okay. Shame. Let's explore that. What is that connected to? Oh, wow. There's performance anxiety stuff going on. Okay. Well, I'm familiar with that. So what is the performance anxiety story? Oh, okay. It's around my erection or it's around whatever, you know, it's around her having an orgasm. It's, oh, look at all these. That's what's in there. Okay, cool. So in this experience right now, I'm going to set the intention to work on not attaching to that story as it goes through my mind while I'm in this one experience for this 30 minutes, whatever it is. I'll set an intention. And that's what my partners and I do. We set intentions. For today's you know, experience, I'm planning to really feel grounded. And, and when I start to get into my head and I feel my heartbeat go up and I start catching myself connecting to stories, I just want to remember to connect back with my breath and get into the present. It's that's how I approach these experiences with my partners and with Sarah. Very intentional. Right. Very intentional. I'm not in 
end it just to have an orgasm. Not anymore. I used to be, right. but not anymore. It's incredibly intentional. And so my partners and I approach it that way. Everybody has the same, is playing for the same things in terms of healing and, and manifesting and joy. Like that's, that's the level at which my partners and I approach the sexual energy and, and, and that sexually intimate space. So there's no fucking around. There's, it's not, it's not like, Oh, I'm just giddy excited because we're about to, you know, have sex together. It's going to be exciting and athletic. And no, it's none of that. Again, it used to be, but it has, it has changed and evolved because I now see for myself, I, I place the importance of sexual energy at a much higher position than I did in the past. Like when I was a teenager, it was like, you know, jumping in bed with somebody. I, I had no real concept of the consequence of the magnitude. I mean, of course I knew I could make a baby, but it's like giving a child, a, you know, a, a weapon or putting a kid behind the wheel of a Ferrari and they don't know how to fuck to handle that, that responsibility. Right. And so I wrapped myself around many trees, <laughs> you know, I was yeah, like, yeah. I drove that Ferrari into a lot of, a lot of trees and, and, um, but now as an adult, it's a much different, it's a much different experience. It's a much different intention, very, very intentional. And I really just pay attention to how is my body showing up? Cause my body is showing up as the effect of what's going on in my mind. So let me really dial into what's going on in my mind and the stories that I'm, I'm saying, because that's how my body's showing up. So if I'm having, if I'm feeling some anxiousness, if I'm feeling some insecurity and it's, it's showing up in my body a certain way, let me go and tune into that mentally. And so I'll tune into that during the experience. And then afterwards, when I'm talking with my partner and we're debriefing about it, and then the next day I'll reflect on it. And it's really this practice of, of coming to understand myself in a deeper way. Right. So it sounds like to me, you know how to handle the stick shift of the Ferrari now. <laughs> Much more effectively than I did 15 years ago. Right. I, yeah. For sure. For sure. I hear that. So, but I'd imagine you still have, you still have your bad days. Of course. What do you do when those fears start to surface again? And and what what do you do to to create the shift to come back to love and choose love moving forward and not go down the fear path? Uh, it depends on moment to moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like this morning, waking up and feeling a little bit of like kick of anxiety about you know certain things. You were just excited to see me. I know it really was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually was, but um, you know, I, I right now the thing that I'm really focusing on is recognizing that if I'm feeling stress and anxiety and fear and worry, I am not in the present moment. Yeah. That if I'm feeling anxious about something that's coming up, I'm living in the future. If I'm feeling frustrated about something that happened, I'm living in the past. And so I, I have sort of trained myself to recognize those feelings in my body that don't feel good as a sign that I'm not being present. And so when I feel that, I work on getting present. And what helps me the most is breathing. I've been doing a lot of deep breathing mm -hmm. the past several weeks. Yeah. A lot of like intentional pausing 
and deep breathing to remind myself right now, everything in this moment is perfect. And the other day, for example, I was in the bathroom and I was feeling triggered. I received a text message that triggered me, got me angry and felt me, it put me in that state of anticipating a, a, a confronting conversation. I was living in the future. And I was in the bathroom and it was really cold out. And so I reminded myself about breathing. And so I took my hand and put my hand on the bathroom window. And it was cold. It was another way of me helping to ground myself in this present moment. Let me focus on the coldness on my hand. Because if I can focus on the coldness of my hand, that means I'm not going to be focusing on the stuff that I'm fixated on in the future. And it brings me back into the present moment. And I literally felt my heart rate slow down. And then I got wrapped up in the story again and my heart rate kicked up. So I took my hand, I stuck it under my shirt and placed it right on my chest. It's like a shockness, shock of cold. Just focus on the cold, focus on the sensation. And I just felt myself bring myself back into the present moment. And then when I'm more, when I'm calm now, a lot of the things that I've been also doing, reminding myself of what's true, reminding myself not to take things personally, reminding myself that this person is a mirror for me, so they're really showing me how I'm showing up. So let's be grateful for their pushback and their, you know, and, and let's be grateful for the trigger. All of those things have a greater chance of coming into my brain when I'm in that calm moment. But it's been breathing that has helped me to get back into love. Right. And, and be present. Yes, sir. What about when you're, when you're in that moment, right? If you're in, say, that, that conversation that, that the, the future, the potential of the future conversation that triggered you, what happens for you? How do you, how do you do, what do you do in that bad conversation if it's, if it's current? If, yeah, like you're actually in the conversation and it goes south for whatever reason. Mm hmm. How do you how do you drive choosing love when you're in the shit? I have been in enough conversations where I've chosen to react instead of respond, where I've chosen to allow my fear-based emotions to run it, that I know if I do that, I'm going to reflect back on it and say, that's not how exactly how I want to show up. So... When I find myself in those moments, I'm going to do my very best to create a little bit of pause. I found myself in one of those moments a couple months ago in a conversation that was, it was becoming contentious. And so I recognize in that moment, Matthew, if you start responding and replying from that state that you're in right now, your emotion and ego are going to run this conversation and I won't create any sort of win-win. You're going to have ego versus ego. And this is like a really quick conversation I'm having in my mind. Right. So I just slowed down. I got quiet. I listened a little bit more. I quelled that burning desire to lash out and tell this person why everything they're saying is wrong. I just brought that down. And I used the same sort of tools, the breathing to create a little bit of space so that I wasn't in reaction, so that I could get to being responding. And that that helps me. It doesn't mean that my heart rate slows down. That shit was still pounding. 
Right. I was still feeling the agitation, but I wasn't being driven by the emotion in terms of my responses anymore. Right. It gets to the point where you still hold the space for yourself to feel the emotions and have the emotions, but they're not necessarily driving you in a place that is reactionary and unproductive. Yeah, because you know I've been in a lot of moments, I'm sure your listeners have too, where it's just ego. Your ego's firing off, and you would rather be right than happy. I'm going to be right in this moment, even if it means I'm going to suffer at the end of it. Yeah, I've been in a lot of those conversations, and Again, like I'll reflect back on those things after the fact, a day or two later. Like I'll refl- I'll go back, kind of like an athlete goes and looks at film. Yeah. I'll reflect back, like, okay, why did I feel so triggered in this moment? And when they said that, why did that get to me? And if I could do it again, how would I want to show up differently? And it's in those sort of, you know, the, the, that analysis that I'll say, okay, next time I'm in a fiery moment like that, just take a breath. Like you don't have to respond. You don't have, you know, speak slowly. I love watching interviews with, with Elon Musk and Tesla. He's so interesting to me because you'll ask him a question and he'll pause. And he'll be considering it. And he'll take his time. And then eventually he responds. You know, and it's cool. You're like, wow, you're, you're really seeing somebody thinking about something in real time. Not this feeling like you have to fill in the silence with words. And in a fight, you want to fill in that silence with words. And so it's just stuff like that that I, I, I try to embody and just, if I'm feeling agitated, we're in a fight or whatever, let me just do my best to create some pause. Because if I can pause, then I can get back into a little bit more of my grounded center. And I'd much rather respond and reply and communicate from that grounded center space than from being all over the place. I really like that, the the pause and allowing there to be a moment of silence and realize that you don't have to fill the silence. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, it reminds me of some engineering stuff. And it, it seemed like a lot of times in like my career in engineering, if somebody would ask you a question and you just blurt out an answer, it's wrong. And, and the need to pause and slow down and think about what problem is being presented to run through the solutions in your mind, that's when you arrive at a more optimal solution. But if you just blurt out the first thing, it's, it's 99% of the time, the wrong solution for whatever it is that you're trying to work through. And I also remember as a young engineer, uh, my first design job, my coworker and senior engineer that was like grooming me and helping me become a professional was like that. He would pause. He was really good at pausing. I'd ask, I'd ask him a question and he'd pause. And the first like week I was there, I was like, oh my God, did I just ask a really dumb question? Am I supposed to know the answer to this? What's going on? Yeah. And no, it just turns out he was just really good at pausing to think about it for a moment. And, and I like that in this idea too, because that really helps me uh, in conversations with people, especially on controversial topics, heated topics, emotionally charged topics, anything like that, that I don't get ahead of myself. And I got to slow myself down. And it's definitely not always good at it. There's still some stubborn tendencies that are hardwired into me a little bit, but I'm figuring out how to rewire it. (laughs) Hey, man, you and me both. But there's freedom in the pause, right? Because if there's no pause, you're, you're... 
I don't know, but for me at least, if I'm in an argument and there's no pause, I'm firing off ego. I'm firing off old stories. I'm firing off of all the stuff that has created the destructive situation in the first place. Yeah. It doesn't add to it. And so the pause is also me working on getting better at coming from my centered space. Right. And it's not easy to do, like you've been saying. But when you have that little tiny bit of awareness in the midst of that chaotic conversation and you remember, let me just take one breath. It I don't know. It I've found that it shifts the whole it can shift the whole energy of the conversation when you're being more measured and more calm. It tends to bring the other person down. Cause, you know, I for me, when I'm in an argument with, when I had been in an argument with people in the past, if they get amped up, my ego says, get amped up. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, they're going to puff up their chest. I'm puff up my chest. Like, let's go. We'll go back and forth. Yeah. And we'll keep going because I'm so committed to being right. I'm not committed to being happy in that moment. If my ego is driving it, I'm committed to being right. And so we'll, we'll go until somebody breaks. And in those moments, Synergy never happened. Right. Cooperation never happened. Truly listening never happened. It was somebody submit. And if you submit, you just fed my ego that my approach was the better approach and I'm going to do it again. And so, yeah, it's a retraining. It can be a retraining. But it's, as you experience, man, it it can be so effective. What did you just say about politicians? (laughs) (laughs) That's like entertainment. You watch those debates. You know, nobody pauses. This just... Who can get the best quip for the next morning's headline? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's massive ego, massive ego. And I get it. I I hear that. I hear that. So we're getting close to to trying to wrap up on time. There's one one other question that I I wanted to ask you. Uh, It's kind of a two-part question. When you're working with other people, what do you see as like one of their most common roadblocks or self-limiting beliefs? And what do you see helps create the biggest shift for them? I see that a lot of the root of a lot of um, challenges can be traced back to what's at the center of your of the way that that you view the world your paradigm again it's it's a concept that covey talks about in seven habits when people are self-centered money-centered friendship-centered family-centered then that's where you get your source of security guidance wisdom power And all of those things that I just mentioned, spouse, money, children, work, all of those things are outside of yourself. And all of those things are, they they depend highly upon whatever is going on in the environment. For example, if you're very money-centered, when your money's high, you feel good. When your money's low, you feel scared. Money can go up and down moment to moment. So a lot of the patterns that I see in myself and in others that I have the pleasure of working with is that so much challenge comes from 
having centers that are outside, centers that are, that are dependent on other things outside of ourselves. And what I really teach is being principally centered. Because principles do not shift. Here's an example of a principle. For every choice, there's a consequence. That's a principle. All of us are beholden to that, even if you don't want to believe it. It rings true for all of us. Today, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, every choice had a consequence. It's always true. No matter what religion, no matter what you believe, it's always true. It's principle. So when you have principles as your guiding center, those that's something that you can truly ground upon. And they don't shift. Stock market doesn't shift principles. Whether or not your family members like you in this moment doesn't shift principles. And so a lot of what I see as people's challenges are when they are centered on their values and things that change and can change rather than being centered on principles, something that is unchangeable and timeless. And for me in the past, I was very relationship-centered. I was very self-centered. And as a result, my emotional, mental, spiritual well-being was always up and down. If the relationship was going well, I was up. If it was not going too well, or even if I perceived it wasn't going too well, it was down. So that's something that I teach, and it's a, it's a core part of my coaching programs. It's let's work on becoming principally centered. Let's know what your values are, because they are important, Right? Everybody has something that's that is 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 truth for them and their values. But let's be guided and centered on principles. It's like being in a being dropped in a middle of nowhere and being able to have the tools to get you in a direction you really want to go in. And so that's one of the biggest things that I see. Value centered versus principle centered. Nice. I like that. That's super, super cool. I uh, definitely resonate with that and feel that a lot as well. Yeah. Last question before we, as we wrap up here. What is your go-to self-care tool and how to use it? What does it do for you? My favorite self-care tool, I've been using this thing for eight years. It's called the Balance Chart. Mm-hmm. And... It is developed by Your Day Balance Game, the organization I was speaking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And it is part habit tracker, part accountability. And truly, when you get to the essence of what it does, is it helps individuals build integrity and build trust within themselves. If you don't believe in yourself, you're going to have a lot of issues in a lot of different areas. Facts. The balance chart helps you to build belief and and trust in yourself through doing simple habits on a consistent basis. And so I have used this tool consistently for over eight years. It is my favorite go-to. I use it every single day. Before you came today, I was logging points on my balance chart and I was making deposits into my emotional bank account. Right. Adding money and adding deposits to my emotional bank account, feeling my trust go up, feeling my sense of personal integrity go up. So that's my favorite tool. And um, yeah, it's awesome. It's a it's an app that you can get on Android and iOS. It's just called Your Day Balance Game. You go search that. 
and you can find it. Cool, man. I appreciate that. We'll have to check that out myself. Yes, sir. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I super appreciate your time. I'm going to wrap up and, and not take up any more of your time today. Um, I know I got a ton out of your conversation, your perspective, as as I always do. I have no doubt that the listeners will also benefit from that. I uh, appreciate you. Thank you. And thank you so much. This has been truly an honor. And uh, I just appreciate your questions, your listening, your insight, the space holding, all of it. So thank you. Yes. Thank you. Cool, man. That was dope. Yeah, man. An important note about the Project Unchained podcast. This podcast represents the opinion of myself, Ross Lepola, and my guests of the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content is for informational purposes and unique to the individuals sharing their stories. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical considerations. Thanks for joining Project Unchained today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if the tools you've learned have helped you, please consider leaving a review so that this show ends up higher in search results. By doing that, you can help me help others get unchained. If you know someone who specifically would benefit from today's episode, please share it with them directly. If what I'm discussing on the show resonates with you and you'd like to chat, please do reach out. I respond to all messages. You can find me on Instagram at Ross.Lepola, and I'm on Facebook, Ross Lepola. My email is in the show notes. Lastly, I want to give a special thank you to my very talented cousin, Caitlin Lee, for the intro and outro music for this podcast. The song is Lost in the Woods from her 2018 album, Learning How to Stay. You can find Galen's albums on Bandcamp, Spotify, and ViolinScratches.com. Until next time, I hope you live your life a little more unchained. quick note about the Project Unchained podcast. I'm not a doctor nor a therapist. I'm just a driven guy who has seen firsthand what this healing journey can do for the quality of a person's life experiences. The ideas and concepts I share with you are a result of my own ongoing journey and that of my guests. I truly want you to live a more free and empowered life. This is my gift to you. Thanks for joining Project Unchained today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if the tools you've learned have helped you, please consider leaving a review so that this show ends up higher in search results. By doing that, you can help me help others get unchained. If you know someone who specifically would benefit from today's episode, please share it with them directly. If what I'm discussing on the show resonates with you and you'd like to chat, please do reach out. I respond to all messages. You can find me on Instagram at Ross.Lepola, and I'm on Facebook, Ross Lepola. My email is in the show notes. Lastly, 
I want to give a special thank you to my very talented cousin, Gaitlin Lee, for the intro and outro music for this podcast. The song is Lost in the Woods from her 2018 album, Learning How to Stay. You can find Galen's albums on Bandcamp, Spotify, and ViolinScratches.com. Until next time, I hope you live your life a little more unchained. Give yourself away.